This episode of the Butane by ABIC podcast is brought to you by the Aesthetic and Beauty Industry Council. Hello and welcome to the Butane by ABIC podcast, your online support community for the aesthetic and beauty industry. Here, we are strengthening and unifying the industry through representation, innovation and education. This is a platform created and dedicated to the aesthetic and beauty industry, valuing unity and advancement. We serve to represent, support and inspire you by connecting you with industry experts, expanding your knowledge through educational pieces and bringing you the latest industry news. This is Beauté by ABIC. Welcome to the Beauté by Avic podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Miller. Today's guest is Gay Wardle from Gay Wardle Education. Gay is a businesswoman, coach, mentor, internationally recognized speaker and educator, and Avic council member. Gay was honored as Educator of the Year at the 2015 Australian Beauty Industry Awards for her passion for skin analysis, which she champions both nationally and internationally. She has become one of the most respected icons in the skin and beauty industry because of her dedication and commitment to learning and teaching others. Her work as an educator and practitioner was recognised in 2014 when she was inducted into both the Abia Hall of Fame and the Reed Exhibition Hall of Fame. If you have sat in one of Gay's Everything You Need to Know About Skin classes, you'll know that Gay is anything but just a beauty therapist. She is intelligent, kind, humble, and an absolute queen of the beehive behind all things skin. To talk about intrinsic aging from Gay Wardle Education, today we welcome Gay Wardle. Gay, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. It's so lovely to be your host today. Ah, oh, Steph, I'm excited, and I always love doing you know these podcasts, educational podcasts, especially for ABIC. You know, I think it's really important that we give our members something that they can actually grow their education on. Oh, thank you so much. Now, you're one of the founding council members of ABIC and we're so fortunate to have you here today because of this. So thank you so much for joining. But you've been on our podcast today before, actually. So for those of you that are listening out there for the first time, can you actually tell us a little bit about yourself and how your fabulous career has progressed through the years, Gay? Sure, I can. Look, I have, I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to this industry. Steph, I've been around for centuries and centuries. You know, I guess I've evolved in what I've done over the years. Like I started off just doing beauty therapy in my cubicle, just trying to do the best I could do. And when I started, we had very little education. It was something that only our supply companies gave us. And from there, I always was so hungry to learn more. So I wanted to keep studying and keep learning and I guess I became very passionate about it and wanted to share that knowledge with as many people as I possibly could because I think, you know, we're in an industry, we know that there are changes all the time and we have to kind of keep up with that and understand the skin. We're learning more about the skin all the time, which is amazing. What we know now to what we knew 20 years ago is incredible and the work that we can do with it. 
Mm, there's so many advancements, isn't there? And especially in the field of aging. And today specifically, Gay, we're talking about aging. And we have so much information on extrinsic aging. But really, what we'd love to know is what happens to the skin with intrinsic aging? And how exactly are the two different? Yeah, so intrinsic aging is something that we really, you know, when we do our skin consultations, it's really hard to get a real grip on how that is aging intrinsically. We can gauge extrinsic aging by pollution that's been around, including UV, radiation, all that kind of stuff, and we can physically see it, but we don't actually physically see what's going on with intrinsic aging. And there's reductions in the dermal mast cells, the fibroblasts, collagen reduction, they, and we have flattening of the junction between the epidermis and the dermis, and we can't see this until, holy moly, there's a, there's a wrinkle. How did that happen? Normally with intrinsic ageing, the skin is blemished, doesn't tell any stories. It's usually very smooth. It has a pale colour as it gets older. It becomes more dry if it gets older. It can go the other way, but more it becomes dry. And we know that it has less elasticity and then we start to see the wrinkles and everything else that goes with it and we start to see the sliding of the fat and the muscle degradation as well. One thing that we need to kind of understand is how does this happen? You know, when we look at um, reactive oxygen species, they're molecules that are generated by the skin during normal cellular metabolism and they destroy skin cell membranes. They destroy DNA and they also change the enzymes that are all part of cell health. Reactive oh. species make up that extracellular matrix and part of the integral structure of the skin. So with advancing ageing and the number of reactive oxygen species that increases, the ability of the body's antioxidant defence system starts to decline. And that's a huge factor of extrinsic ageing. So when we look at that, we look at um, pollution because we breathe in pollution. We look at diet. We look at the amount of exposure to chemicals. We look at trauma, and that trauma is anything from stress levels to anxiety, depression. And we also need to think about the nutritional value of our bodies as well. I think reactive oxygen species, they generate a lot of oxidative stress. And I think it's pretty important that we really understand what it's actually doing to our bodies. And again, like I said, we don't see the devastation on the skin. When you look at in extrinsic aging, you know, the greatest source of this is accumulated by unprotected exposure to UV radiation. We know that. And a large percentage of facial skin aging is due to low grade chronic UV exposure. So little bits of exposure that are accumulating over time. We, we think, oh, we're going to be out there for an hour or two hours, but it's that accumulation that we've got to think about as well. So extrinsic aged skin is characterised by a coarser, deeper wrinkling, a more rough texture to the skin, telogentasia, that irregular and mottled pigmentation, and the complexion is like a more sallow, yellowy complexion and definitely a loss of elasticity. So the severity of extrinsic ageing depends on the skin type. You know, we know we, when we do our consultations, we talk about the, the Fitzpatrick skin type and we have to really understand that those lighter skins, one, two, and even the lighter threes can be more affected by extrinsic than the darker skins. That's 
amazing information, Gay. <laughs> Thank you so much for explaining that to us. You know, sometimes it is hard to wrap your head around exactly all the different processes that, that happen to age us and in combination as well. That's where you see all the, those different types of aging factors come into play. And also we're talking about intrinsic aging. We've got things like, you know, low grade chronic inflammation that happens because of various factors. It could be diet, it could be stress and all of that related. Mm-hmm. So you combine them all and, and you get that result of that characteristically aged skin. It's really interesting. How do the actual layers of the skin age? Well, they all age differently and, you know, we've got to understand um, how that happens too because we work typically in the corneum, in the barrier layer when we're doing treatments in a clinical situation. But understanding what's happening down in the um, subcutaneous and the dermal layers is really important. So we know the epidermis is formed by this protective keratinized squamous epithelial tissue and it has this outer barrier that actually is surrounded by bacteria and give this us amazing protection. But underneath, you've got the dermis. Now, the epidermis has no blood supply, so it gains its nutrition from the dermis. And a major continuous change in extrinsic ageing is a reduction in the surface contact between that epidermis and dermis. So we've got this lovely structure in that epidermal dermal region named called ready pegs that, that support. And in there, we've got all these very capillary-rich dermal vessels and we've got you know both um, lymphatic vessels that are all there and we're supplying it's supplying all these nutrients metabolites and oxygen to the epidermis so the reduced contact between this region this dermis and epidermis also results in less resistance to sharing forces or shearing forces mm. so in addition with age the epidermis you know, we get a trophy of the epidermis because we produce fewer cells. The cells change as we get older as well. They become larger and um, not as productive as what they were when we were in our 20s. So when we get to, you know, our 60s, 70s, we have a decrease of 50% of the metabolism of cells. That's just in the epidermis that's caused by the um, dermis not functioning. Wow, 50%. That's, that's 50% huge. 50% <laughs> is huge. And the dermis, because it contains these blood capillaries that are important for providing oxygen and nourishment to all skin cells, it's compromised in extracellular matrix containing a sturdy mesh of collagen and elastin fibers. That's where they are. You know, that's down in the reticular layer in the dermis. So if we start to have a destruction in that, again, that epidermal dermal region, that collagen that's being produced there becomes more fibrous in the epidermis. So the collagen, you know, we can do amazing things to sustain the collagen that we've got, to increase collagen, but the quality of collagen, no matter how much we do, is going to change as we age. It's never going to be the same as what we were when we were young. So fibroblasts, you know, are the cells that we actually try to activate when we're doing the treatments and then we're going to think about mouse cells as well so these cells are part of the immune system and these as we get older people tend to have less mast cell activation so we don't have as much histamine being produced and we know that histamine is part of that inflammatory process that actually helps with healing so when we have a reduction in that as we get older you know, the skin doesn't heal as well as what it did when we had all that wonderful 
activation of mast cells and histamine being produced when we were younger. So, you know, with increasing age, there's this loss of dermal volume and dermal thickness, and it decreases by about 20%. And every year it gets less and less and less. And it's really daunting and really scary <laughs> when you think about that, you know, because, you know, the skin's response to injury or infection is very much compromised. And I think, you know, when we do our consultations, age doesn't matter. We need to understand that. They might look amazing still and that could be from things that they've you know injectables and things like that mm. but still the structure of the collagen elastin is not the, not there and the skin is compromised and doesn't heal understand that collagen is the body's most abundant protein referring to strength and support to the skin and it decreases by one percent per year throughout adult life The Aesthetic and Beauty Industry Council is Australia's peak industry body, representing the collective professional beauty and aesthetic salon, clinic and spa community. Created for the industry, by the industry, our council is a collaboration of industry leaders who bring their commitment and specialised skills to raise industry standards, guide regulation and be a strong voice to government. At ABIC, our purpose is to provide an accessible and supportive organisation for the betterment of the professional beauty and aesthetic field, to enhance working practices and promote unity across the various sectors of the industry. ABIC's mission also includes being a trusted source of referral, education and guidance for clients of the beauty and aesthetic profession. ABIC is here to support our members through an extensive offering, including hundreds of valuable resources, HR support and industry expert facilitators to ensure your continued growth and success. Join us today and together let's safeguard the future of the beauty and aesthetic industry. Find us at www.theabic.org.au. At ABIC, we are here for you. We know elastin decreases more because collagen's holding that up. But, you know, when we get this just, um, decrease in collagen, you know, no matter what we do, it's still not going to be that yummy, healthy, spongy skin as what it was when we were older. Yeah. I love how you say yummy, healthy, spongy skin. <laughs> um, yeah, well. It I, gives I a good visual. Absolutely. That's what we all want, yummy, healthy, spongy uh, skin. <laughs> don't, we, don't we ever. You know, people with a little bit more weight tend to have a little bit more plumpness because they've got a little bit more fat there. But again, you know, we've got to look at the body mass index as well as we get older because if we lose weight when we're older, it all goes to put. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> And it's so interesting that you said, actually, um, if you don't mind me deviating a little bit, that you said in clinical practice when we're actually treating different ages, we need to absolutely adjust our treatment regime or the treatment plan according to age. And that's one thing that's really important to note because sometimes we can think there's a cookie cutter approach to treating skin for uh, for aging for example with a modality such as collagen induction therapy or skin needling but we really need to take into account you know how does the frequency change how does the depth change you know everything when it comes to the different ages right and so when you're treating someone that's a little bit older you need to really look at how how you need to adjust their program to that is that's what I'm hearing from you. Oh, absolutely, Steph. Like, you know, 
And the people that are going to come in for these anti-aging are the older older people. They're going to come in because they've got they've seen a wrinkle this morning that wasn't there yesterday, so they want it gone. And we've got to really sit down and think, how do we approach this? And that approach is really important. If we just took them straight through and did like a needling treatment on them or some kind of laser treatment or, you know, those using those modalities on them, you know, the wrinkles there because we've got a decline in the skin itself. We've got a decline in that epidermal dermal junction. The dermis isn't as active and it's not giving nutrients to the epidermis. So how are we going to nutritionally get this skin healthy so that we can do those treatments? And that's where, you know, like these, um, I always talk about prepping and programs and, you know, a wait time before we actually do that. That wait time is varied. You know, I often get asked, how long should you wait before you do a needling? Well, you know, mm. how long is a piece of string? What is the condition of the skin? You know, what are you looking at? You know, how, what's the collagen like? So, you know, this is where our actives come into play, you know, like making sure that they are using healthy actives. And I still, you know, I still get blown away when I hear of therapists that are doing these treatments, but they're not, not giving anyone actives to take home to use on the skin. I think that's the first part of it. Like, my gosh, you know, we have to make sure the skin is getting nutrition. Like I said earlier, the epidermis doesn't have a blood supply. It's fed by the dermis. So the dermis has to be healthy to give nutrition to the epidermis. How else are we going to feed it if we're not putting actives on top to actually try and get that epidermis hydrated and make sure the cell membrane is is got enough water and has enough fats and things like that. So I think that age is really important. You can have an adverse reaction or go the other way if you did a treatment on someone that had an older skin and you weren't prepping it and looking after it to start with. Absolutely, I hear you. And and you were talking about reactive oxygen species and then also feeding the, the, the skin through actives. And there is a, a school of thought and what we've always done in clinical practice is prep the skin, as you said, with things such as low-level laser where you're actually helping that process and reducing um, reactive oxygen species and helping that cellular function to improve before you go in with more invasive treatments. What's your thoughts on LED and low-level laser therapy? So if I have two LEDs in my clinic and it says, like I've said this many a time, Mm -hmm. if I was going to get caught on an island somewhere and I had to have one thing, it would be an LED. LED, <laughs> I, can't, I can't live without it. Like I just think, you know, and it just makes such a difference. I have prepped people just with actors they're using at home and doing LED in the clinic and they just think, do I need to have needling? Do I need to have this? You know, like <laughs> it's so good that it makes such a difference to their skin and it's that, you know, the, the lights that we use, the different wavelengths that we use are crucial in getting that skin healthy. Um, mitochondria you know, is activated. And we've got to think as we get older, we don't have the Langerhan cells. We don't have those picking up all the debris and, and working with the creatinocyte cell or melocyte cell as we get older because these little dendrite arms are getting shorter and shorter and it ends up like a little amputee in there, like not able to function really well. So the... LED actually helps with all of that. So I think it's just a, a given. It's a must. We can't do treatments without it and prepping. 
I'm so glad you said that. Um, I'm the biggest LED and low-level laser uh, fan. Uh, I, and you're right, if you were caught anywhere, um, I have a low-level laser device in my house. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I you. And you can treat lots of other things, um, body concerns as well with it, you know, um, muscles, aches and pains. And, and there's so much data out there that they're already even using low-level laser for um, treating medical concerns. Uh, you know, Harvard's doing some great studies on that too. So anyone hearing this, just check out those, those studies because there's some really good data out there um, about the power of, um, yeah, light in low, low doses. And so now, Gay, you know, we're talking about the skin and we're talking about aging, but the skin's actually more than just a protective layer for our bodies and, you know, obviously looks beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about what other functions the skin actually has? Absolutely, Steph. Like when you say beautiful, like it's the first thing that everyone sees. Part of our body is always going to be on display and that's the skin. And, you know, I think when we look at the skin, we do think of it as being that protective layer that keeps everything intact and puts like a big bandage around our bones and our muscles and our organs and holds everything in there. But it also is a huge storage facility for lipids and water. So when it's actually hit by sunlight, and this is where, you know, like <laughs> we've got to like think how much sunlight, but when it's actually hit by sunlight, you know, it modifies cholesterol molecules that are converted to a vitamin D precursor. And this is then transported to other body areas to be made into vitamin D. So it's essential for calcium absorption for the gut as well. Skin cells also make collagenase. And these are the enzymes that support the natural turnover of collagen. When we have too many of them, it goes the other way. But, you know, it's so important that we actually get that right amount of sunlight at the right amount of time of day to actually mm-hmm. keep the skin and the body healthy. And not only that, it's a huge immune system. Like you've got T cells and things like that that are all living in the barrier layers, in the in the corneum layer. And they're the first defense for our innate immune system. You know, if you scratch yourself, they're there, they're helping us, you know, um, recover. So the skin is yeah, we've got to respect it and love it. And I think, you know, when I see people lying on the beach as I live on the Gold Coast, I just I just like going up and putting a big sign over the top of them going, what are you doing? You're abusing something that's looking after you. So I think it's something that we really do have to think about having massages so that we actually feed it and looking at doing lymphatic drainages so that we actually keep the immune system healthy. All of those things are really important. Oh, yeah. It's, when you think about it, it really is our largest organ, but it is our protective organ, but it has so many other functions, doesn't it? One of the things that I and our listeners are really, you know, sort of engrossed in at the moment is the subject of injectables. And aging skin is one thing um, and treating that holistically. And then injectables seem to be this separate little thing where you can clump up the skin, you can change the way that, you know, your cheeks look and your, your, your lips look. But how do the two go together? You know, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on injectables. Okay, so I think injectables, uh, people are using injectables for uh, a quick fix to aging skin and they're not looking at the bigger picture. I think injectables uh, should be used to enhance, you know, like, you know, subtly. I don't think we should have these massive big (laughs) big (laughs) things like that. I think um, enhancing is really important as we age, that enhancing 
um, is needed. You know, I think it's needed like Botox and having fillers and stuff. But I also see a lot of people that have really heavily pigmented skin or they've got wrinkles that have just been plumped out. So they'll have a little bulge sitting out there where someone's injected a substance to plump that wrinkle out. So the skin looks really uneven. It looks like they've got these little, you know, I've seen it where they've got little pebbles underneath their skin because they're just getting that lower face around the, the jawline. Absolutely. So, yeah, plumped out. And it's and it looks old. It looks worse than what it did before they actually had the injectables. So I think the one thing that we have to have is a healthy skin. If you have a healthy skin where you've got, you know, less pigmentation, where you've got hydration, where it's dewy, that looks far younger than having your injectables put into cheeks and other areas of the face. You know, to me, I would rather have someone that has good healthy skin if I had the two of them next to I would take the person with the good, healthy skin rather than the person that had cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be careful, Steph. Yeah, no, cheeks. I know. <laughs> I think I think it's I'm um, on the dog yeah. coast. I have Barbie and Kin up here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't have to be careful. Anything you say, um, we take as gospel, really. Um, you, <laughs> you know, it, it's really interesting what you said, and I totally believe that prepping the skin even for injectables is something that, you know, is a piece of the puzzle that sometimes gets missed there. So really looking after the integrity of the skin beforehand, bringing it to a healthy state, making sure it's nice, you, you know, your dermis is nice and thick, and then it looks nicer, doesn't it, um, those enhancements? Oh, it looks beautiful, and it makes it, yeah, it does. And it, seriously, if you've got a, a healthy, hydrated skin, the injectables, injectors love you because, you know, they're able to get the product in there easy because the skin's hydrated and they're able to work with it. You know, what I love at the moment is I have a lot of nurses, um, I have students coming through um, the clinic and a lot of them are nursing or they're going into nursing. And the one thing that they say is I really want to understand the skin to yes. give it, you know, so I can give it the best results. So I think, you know, people are starting to realise having a healthy skin before they do that is really important. And I think cosmetic nurses are starting to understand that as well and doctors and they really are. You know, I've seen a difference in the trends when I hire and I talk to cosmetic nurses. They really do want to now understand the skin. They want to be able to give that holistic treatment because they understand that beautiful glowing complexion is it's not just about injectables it really does go hand in hand with the other supportive treatments to get a good result you need to treat every part every aspect of the skin and sometimes injectables are not the very first thing that you should do when treating right totally agree with that like I think it's something that you think of down the line when someone's coming in for an age management treatment you know like get the skin healthy work with the skin and then get the skin ready so that when they do have those injectables, they have beautiful skin and it looks amazing. That's very sage advice. Gay, oh, my goodness, you are a wealth of knowledge. You are really an industry treasure. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And no doubt you will come back again as a guest. And I just want to also thank you so much for all the work that you do for the Aesthetic and Beauty Industry Council and for one, being one of the pioneers to start such an important organisation as well. So thank you so much, Gay.
Well, thanks, Steph. I think the APIC is going to be amazing. I think, you know, people need to, if they're not already members, they need to think about becoming a member of APIC because, you know, we're here to support and to help and we need to have as many people on board as we can so that we can have a huge voice. And you yourself, Steph, have made headways in the last 12 months or even less than that, six months, in getting us to where we are now and changes in the industry. So I thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. It really is a team effort. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. Gay, thank you always. We'll speak to you again next time. You've reached the end of another episode of the Beauté by ABIC podcast, your online support community for the aesthetic and beauty industry. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay connected.